0: Samuel. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1 this morning, and if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Grab the Pew Bible in front of you. It is on page 262, 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're doing things a little bit differently. That's kind of been a theme around here lately, and that's good. Different is good. Uh, what I want to do this morning is continue on looking at some of the great women of the faith in the Bible, and today brings us to the story of Hannah. And if you've been around the church, maybe you know the story of Hannah. I'm just going to ask that you stay with me this morning. And even if you know how the story ends, that we try to discover what was so special about Hannah. What was unique about her life and her heart that we can learn from her as we try to be better followers of Jesus Christ. Now, We're in the middle of this uh, series, and we'll put up on the screen where we've been and where we're going. Memorial Day weekend, we looked at Mary, mother of Jesus. We saw that how uh, just the fact that she was so ordinary, she was just an ordinary person that God used in an extraordinary way. That's a lesson for all of us. Two weeks ago, we looked at the story of Ruth. Ruth was an outsider, she was someone that couldn't even go to the tabernacle, couldn't even go to the place of worship because she was an outsider, and God used her anyway to to be part of the greatest legacy of all legacies, the legacy of King David, ultimately part of the legacy of Jesus Christ, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Last week, we kind of took a time out from the study, but not really, because we heard from two incredible people of faith, one of them being a woman, missionaries Barbo Donahue and Jack Swanson. Today we're looking at Hannah. Next week's going to be an awesome service. We're going to jump all the way to the book of Acts, and we're going to look at two women that had a profound impact on during the time of the missionary journeys and they never get credit for the difference that they made. These women are Lydia and Priscilla. Also during our services next week, we're going to have our annual congregational meeting. And I know some of you are like, "Whoa, I don't like meetings. It's going to be a blessing. You're going to see some video of some of the ministries that are taking place at our church. It's going to be a wonderful time. And then July 1st, we're going to gather together. We're going to jump back into the Old Testament and we're going to look at the life of Esther. The big idea today... Big idea today that I want you to leave with, if you get nothing else, is this. Hannah's story teaches us that God remembers us. Bottom line. But he remembers us when our hearts are broken. He never forgets us, even when it seems like he's nowhere to be found. Even when it seems like he has forgotten When I worked at Lincoln Christian College, um, the fall was always the busiest time of the year for me as the director of admissions, because our staff, our admissions staff was very small, there was three or four of us. And we tried to get out to as many different college fairs as we possibly could. We tried to saturate the state of Illinois, but even in later years, we tried to get to places like Wisconsin and Indiana and Missouri to try to get the word out about LCC, now it's LCU, at the time it was LCC, get the word out as much as possible. And one of the best college fairs for us in terms of the number of students that we connected with and the number of uh, eventual students that it would produce was the Springfield Area College Fair. It was held at the state fairgrounds, or Building. It was was a great time. And um, one particular year I was there, I was manning the booth. I was interacting with a bunch of students in this beautiful soon-to-be senior in high school came up and she was so excited to see me. She had a smile on her face like my daughter has on her face when we've been apart from each other for a while. And she called me by name and she said, it's been so long since I've seen you and it's so good to see you and how are you doing? And I didn't really know what to say at that point because I had absolutely no idea at all who was standing in front of me. So I tried to cover it I tried to kind of interrogate without making it known that I was interrogating and tried to find out who exactly was this beautiful, excited, soon-to-be senior in high school in front of me. And for five minutes, I just asked her questions, how are the parents, and she would give me very uh, vanilla answers. And I was no closer to recognizing who she was five minutes later than when she first came up. And I know that the more we talked, the more the light bulb began to go off on her mind. She has no idea, he has no idea who I am. He doesn't know who I am. She said a couple things during those five minutes that were kind of trigger points for me. She said, I just had to come over and say hi to the guy that baptized me. So right away, I knew right there, I had a ministry connection with her. And she made a comment along the lines that her dad was really doing well in his sixth year as a principal. And so as I'm trying to act engaged and we're connected, my mind's rolling a a hundred miles a minute trying to figure out, who did I baptize that's got a dad that's a principal? And she walked away and I could see it in her eyes, she was disappointed. About 15 minutes later, it just, it hit me. It's Haley Younger from Moequa, one of the greatest students that ever went through our grade school ministry. And I did baptize her. And her dad is a principal now in Litchfield. And her mom was actually on our church staff for a very short time. I hadn't seen her in 10 years, but the light bulb went off. And I went flying through the ore building trying to find her. And I finally found her. I said, Haley, Haley, it's good to see you. Way too late at that point way 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 too late. See I let her down. She was so excited to see me and I didn't even remember her name. Have you ever been there? You're at Walmart. You're at the restaurant. Maybe you're on vacation and someone is so excited to see you and they call you by name and you have absolutely no idea at all, who they are. You can't come up with it at that point in time. Maybe you never will. I think that for a lot of us, that's how we think God works in our life at times. We are so passionate that the Lord bless us in a certain way, that the Lord help us in a certain situation, that the Lord deal effectively in our life context. And as the days unfold and the weeks unfold and the, the years unfold, we think to ourselves, does he remember me? Because if he remembers me, why isn't he acting? If he remembers me, why is this thing not getting any better? Well, that's Hannah's story. And we're going to look at it this morning. And as we look at it, I I, I want to unfold three truths from 1 Samuel chapter 1. And this isn't rocket science. You'll pick it up in the text. But truth number one is this. God remembers you even when your heart is broken. Truth number two, God remembers us in the midst of our prayers. Truth number three, God remembers us after our prayers have been answered. Let's look at these one at a time. Number one, God remembers us even when... When our hearts are broken. First Samuel chapter 1 beginning with verse 1. Let's read God's word together. It says there was a certain man from Ramathane. A Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim. Whose name was Elkanah. Son of Jehoram. Son of Elihu. Son of Tohu. Son of Zulf. An Ephraimite. He had two wives. One called Hannah. The other Peninah. Penina had children, Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from the town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. And whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her And the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept. She would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? God remembers us even when our hearts are broken. There's a lot to unpack in those eight verses. Uh, Obviously, part of being uh, a god fear during that day meant that not once, not twice, but three times a year you would actually journey to, to, to the central temple as it's referred to. For a time of worship. And you would sacrifice meat to the Lord. And you you can flip over if you want to in your spare time to Leviticus chapter 7. Some of us reading through the Bible in 90 days, we read through Leviticus in the last couple weeks. And you know that uh, as meat was sacrificed, you you had to make sure that all the meat was consumed in a matter of time. You couldn't just throw it away. Couldn't just give it to the dog as a snack. And we see in here that Elkanah loves his wife Hannah. She can't have kids, so he gives her a double portion And yet the double portion's not doing much because year after year after year, her rival, Penina, she's taunting her. She's teasing her. Her words are stinging. Have you ever been like Hannah where you wanted just one thing? One thing. God, give me this one thing. God, bring my child home safely. God, help my job situation improve. God, help my wife or my husband become a person of faith. And you prayed, and you fasted, and you prayed some more, and you said, God, help me. And that one thing didn't seem to get any better. That one thing didn't seem to improve. See, Hannah wanted just one thing. She wanted a baby. She lived in a house full of babies, full of children, sons and daughters, she didn't have her own. She said, God, just give me a child. God, just give me a baby. And the text tells us that year after year after year, things didn't improve. Now, if I was a motivational speaker, I might tell Hannah that disappointment is just different clothing for opportunity. Or that failure is the back door to success. If I were her father, I might tell her to look on the bright side and think of all that you have instead of what you don't. If I was good friends with Hannah, I might be tempted to to tell her just to hang in there, not to lose hope, to just keep on trying. I might even go and buy her a book or a DVD on infertility. But you know, if I was God... You know what I think I would say? If I was God, I don't think I'd say anything. If I was God, I would know that slogans and formulas and pat answers, they really don't help, do they? When we want that one thing, we're not looking for that pat slogan, are we? And understand this, our God and Father knows what it's like to have a broken heart. God knows the special pain of childlessness. It's a great mystery. It's hard for us to understand. But the Bible tells us that while Jesus Christ was on the cross bearing the sins of the world, paying for your sins and my sins, that the Father poured out on Jesus the wrath for sin that I deserve, that you deserve. And for a terrible moment, that carried with it All the weight of eternity, the father turned away and knew what it was like to lose his only son. And he was willing to do it so he wouldn't lose you and he wouldn't lose me. So understand this morning, God hasn't forgotten you when your heart's broken. God hasn't forgotten you when that one thing you want isn't becoming a reality. He knows what it's like to lose what you cherish the most. Well, our story continues. Truth number two, God remembers us in the midst of our prayers. Let's go back to our text, 1 Samuel 1. Let's jump down to verse 9. It says, Once, when they'd finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much, and prayed to the Lord, And she made a vow, saying, "O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery, catch this, and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli, the priest observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. How long will you keep getting drunk on wine, he said. Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I'm not, I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. So Eli answered her, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went away and she ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Number two, God remembers us in the midst of our prayers. Look at Hannah's heart in verse 10. It's in your Bible. We're going to put it up on the screen. Look at verse 10. It says, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Maybe she just couldn't take it anymore. Maybe the months and the years were more than she could bear. Whatever she was doing wasn't working, so she went to the Lord and poured out her heart. Now what I want you to notice here is what Hannah doesn't do. Because some of these reactions are what you and I might want to do in such a situation. First of all, she doesn't go and complain to her husband. She doesn't go and tell him how tough her life is and how awful it is. And woe is me. Maybe it's because there's a disconnect playing out. We don't know. We know that earlier in the text he would said, Hannah, aren't I worth more to you than ten sons? Her answer, not really. Not really. Notice here that she doesn't try to get even with her rival, Penina. Isn't that what many of us would do? She's being mean. She's acting like a really bad word that we don't use in church. So I'm going to get even with her. I'm going to do whatever it takes to try to get even. We don't see that in the text. She doesn't lash out. He doesn't try to get even number three she doesn't even go to her preacher and look for answers or cry woe is me now maybe it's because there's a disconnect with eli the priest i don't know she's pouring her heart out to the lord and he thinks that she's drunk do, do you see the the reading between the lines here he's never witnessed something like that before He's never seen someone so deeply troubled that as they pour out their heart to the Lord, the words aren't coming out. So he just concludes, festival time, she's been partying. She's had a little bit too much wine. She's had a little bit too much beer. She doesn't do that. What does she do here? Here's what she does. She simply pours out her heart to the Lord. There's a hard lesson It's a hard lesson for me that I think we can learn from Hannah's story. And here's what it is. Often, the people that we think are going to understand us the most in a time of great disappointment don't. Often, the people that we expect to sympathize with us, they just turn away. They don't know what to say. So they don't say anything. And that cuts us to the heart. Sometimes we think as we see the situation unfolding, the crisis we're going through, the tragedy we're enduring, the one thing we're not getting, and our friends and our family and our coworkers are silent, we think they don't like me. They don't love me. They don't understand me. And I think the takeaway here is that if we try to put our trust in a human, we're going to be disappointed. We're going to be saddened by the reaction, unfortunately. Have you ever been misunderstood like Hannah? That's another takeaway here. You go to a good friend, you go to maybe your pastor, you're looking for something, and they fail you. They just don't get it. They just don't understand it. Those trite slogans make an appearance. And you walk away more discouraged than you, you walked in in the first place. I want you to see this morning that Hannah didn't read a book. Hannah didn't get on the internet and try to find five steps to feeling better. She just went to the Lord and prayed. She just went to the Lord and she poured out her heart. She just said, Lord, I'm struggling. I don't understand why I'm struggling. Nobody else understands it. All I have is you. Maybe that's a lesson for us. Maybe as you're hoping that that one thing that you want more than anything else will become a reality, maybe what you need to do more than anything else is simply go to the Lord. You know, many times you come to church and you hear guys like me or Jim, we'll, we'll say things like, block out everything that you brought with you. And, and if you're struggling today, just, just leave it at the door and come in and focus on the Lord. And as I studied this week, I kind of had a revelation. I don't get a lot of revelations, but I kind of had a revelation. That's bad theology. Because when I'm broken, when I'm heart sick, the place I need to be is in the house of the Lord. The place I need to be is with my brothers and sisters in Christ. But it'd be silly to leave it at the door. I need to be like Hannah and go to the throne. We need to be like Hannah and say, Lord, we give this over to you. Your will be done. Lesson number three, we're moving on. God remembers us after our prayers have been answered. Look at verse 19. It says, early the next morning they arose and they worshiped before the Lord. And then they went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, I asked the Lord for him. This is a cool passage because our story has a happy ending. Hannah is finally able to have a child. She's blessed with a baby boy. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. And Hannah follows through on her vow to the Lord. Remember the vow that she made? She said, if you give me a child, I'm giving him back to you. No razor is going to touch his head. There's a Nazarite vow, again, reading through the Bible. Uh, Many many parents would raise up their children. They, They would place a Nazarite vow upon them that no razor would touch their head. It's a very special vow. She's making a similar vow here. And she's following through on the promise. She's saying, Lord, this child is yours. If you were to read this afternoon the rest of 1 Samuel 1 and into 1 Samuel 2, you'll see how that unfolds and what that looks like and the difference that this young boy Samuel will will eventually become. He will become one of the greatest leaders Israel has ever produced. He'll be prophet. He'll be judge. He'll be seer. He will ordain Saul as the first king of Israel. He'll ordain David as the second king of Israel. He becomes a legend of legends. But it would be silly for me this morning not to share with you what so many of you know, that sometimes when we pour out our heart to the Lord, the answer we get is not what we hoped for. I believe God answers every prayer. That's good theology. But the answer isn't always yes. One of my favorite preachers is a guy by the name of Randy Frazee. Some of you will know that name. He's co-author of The Story Curriculum with Max Lucado. He serves as senior pastor at the Oak Hills Church with Max Lucado. And he writes about a time many years ago when his mother lay dying and he went to God with a special request. In fact, Frazee writes, he didn't make the request once or even twice or even three times, but fifty times different times, he made the request to the Lord. He knew because he counted. He knew because he was journaling. His request was a very specific one. His mother lay dying and he said, God, give her 18 more years. 18 more years. You can do all things. He said he made that request for two reasons. Number one, a newborn niece had just been born. And he wanted his mother to be able to see his newborn, the newborn niece graduate from high school. But the other reason is because he'd been studying and preaching from the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. And he'd studied the life and specifically the prayer of Hezekiah. You know the story of Hezekiah? Hezekiah lay on his deathbed, tumultuous times for God's people. And Hezekiah said, I can't leave now. I can't go be with you now. Give me 15 more years to save your people. And God answered his prayer. And God gave him 15 more years. So Frazee, one time, two times, three times, 50 times, prayed, God, give mom 18 more years. And Frazee writes that God answered his prayer. He gave his mom 18 more hours. Afterwards, Frazee writes, I had to ask myself the question, what's that all about? Doesn't God love me? Haven't I served God like Hezekiah did? Didn't he see my tears when I turned the face to the wall and wept bitterly? He says, why did God come through for Hezekiah and not for Randy Frazee? We know Randy Frazee is not alone. Someday, a great sermon would be to do a study of all those in the Bible who heard God say no in answer to their request. If you think about it, it'd be a pretty impressive list. That list would include Moses. He asked God to allow him to enter the promised land. It's been 40 years with these whining Israelites, and God's answer was no. David, he begged God. To spare the life of his first son with Bathsheba. Begged him. God's answer was no. Elijah, who we're going to study in the month of August. Elijah grew so tired of ministry, he said, God, just let me die. God's answer, no. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, three times said, God, take away my thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. And God's answer was no. No. Most amazing of all, Jesus the Christ. When he asked that if all possible, the cup of suffering be removed from him, God's answer was no. And so we have to conclude this morning that sometimes the answer that's most consistent with God's plan for my life and your life isn't yes, but sometimes it's no. And although it may not feel like it right now, God's no may actually be more loving than a yes. So what do we do with 1 Samuel 1? What what do you take with you this morning on this Father's Day? Three lessons I, I want you to take with you. Number one, understand that God hears our prayers even when it seems like he isn't tuned in or he isn't paying attention. Don't buy the lie of deism. Deism says God started it all in motion and he, he's taking a nap and he's not relevant for our lives anymore. That's a lie. God hears your prayer. Number two, humans, even our very closest friends, even our preachers, even our church leaders, will fail us sometimes when we need them the most. And number three, I want you to see, God answers our prayers God answers your prayers, every single solitary one of them, but not always like we want. That's why I can't pray enough, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And so the, the point this morning, what do we take away from Hannah? When wanting that one thing, when facing that life crisis... When dealing with a circumstance we don't want to deal with, what's the answer? I think the answer is simple. Pray. Pray. And trust the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And and on this Father's Day, we are reminded that you are our God and Father. And you love us. And you care for us. And you help us, and you hear us. You're there, even if it seems like you're not. And so for these next several minutes as we sing songs of worship and share communion and offering together, it's my prayer that we won't leave our burdens at the door, but we'll bring our burdens to you. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We are going to sing uh, three songs. Jim is going to lead us in. The instrumentalists are going to pray. And then we're going to transition into communion. I don't want to tell you what to do during this time. But I want to let you know that if you want to, the stage is open. And if, like Hannah, you're carrying a burden today, I want to just invite you to come and give it over to the Lord. That may seem odd. That may seem different. Do we do that at First Christian Church? We should. If you need someone to pray with you, Kent's in the back. I'm up front. I'd love to do that as we continue our time of worship together. Let's sing together the song, He leadeth me.